I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. As Californians, we've learned to brace ourselves for the big one. I'm talking about the big earthquake that many experts say we're long overdue for. We've also learned to contend with other disasters, most recently a historic drought and unforgiving wildfires that have decimated California towns. The culprit is climate change. UCLA climate scientist Daniel Swain says that California should also prepare for another kind of big one. These are still rare events, but they go from being exceptionally rare to being moderately rare, something that you probably wouldn't expect to see in five or six lifetimes to something that we probably should expect to see in our own lifetime. Swain is talking about mega floods. They're as terrifying as the name suggests. Across the country, extreme storms and floods have recently been devastating communities. Rain sweeping across Kentucky, battering the same neighborhoods already destroyed by catastrophic flash flooding. This region has been hit harder than any of us have ever seen, maybe harder than any of us thought was possible. At the end of July, a catastrophic flood in eastern Kentucky killed at least 37 people. And just last week, heavy rain in Las Vegas flooded casinos and hotels on the city's iconic strip. Here in California, recent severe rains in Death Valley destroyed roads, trapped visitors, and buried vehicles. Swain says the state should expect this again, but on a much larger scale. A mega flood is essentially a very severe flood that also affects a broad region. So unlike some of the floods we've been seeing this summer, which have been quite extreme and devastating and sometimes deadly, you can kind of think about those sorts of impacts, but across a much broader region. And in the case of our current study, we're talking about flooding like that occurring throughout California, affecting not just one city or one watershed, but most of California's cities and most of California's watersheds simultaneously. Swain is a co-author of a new study that details hypothetical, but very plausible worst-case superstorms that could wreak havoc in California. Today on Fifth Emission, I talk with Swain about why a drought-stricken state like California would face these mega floods and how climate change is making the threat of them more likely than ever. Here's my interview with climate scientist Daniel Swain. So we all know that we're in the midst of a historic drought in California that is impacting agriculture, our drinking water supplies, and wildfires. Why should we be worried about a mega flood? It's a good question. And the authors are are not unaware of the irony of publishing a research paper on the risk of a really big flood event in the middle of a really big drought. In fact, we've seen the worst droughts in the historic record in California in recent years, as well as an escalating wildfire crisis, and now the escalating water uh, availability crisis in the Colorado River Basin. So this is an interesting time to be talking about flooding. But for a variety of reasons, I think it's perhaps less counterintuitive than it might seem at first glance. First of all, in the past decade, we've certainly seen the driest years on record and the worst droughts on record. But in Northern California, we've also seen the wettest winter on record and the wettest individual days on record occur in the same decade. In fact, the wettest day on record in Northern California going back over a century occurred last October in a lot of places. If you remember that 
it was just one storm, but it was a very intense storm. And it was sort of at a weird time of year in October. Mm -hmm. So we've seen hints of this on the other end of the spectrum, definitely more drought and water scarcity than the opposite in recent years. But we've seen just some early hints that maybe we're actually trending towards a climate where we see uh, both extremes occurring more often, more water scarcity and drought on the one hand, but also the potential for more extreme precipitation and therefore flood risk on the other hand. So increasing precipitation whiplash is a term that we coined a few years back. We're taking a look at the risk of big floods because we think it's underappreciated. And because mm. of that, we're worried that we're not preparing as much as we should be for the hazards on that end of the spectrum because we've experienced just so much drought and so much wildfire. So understandably, the focus has been there in recent years, but we're really trying to encourage folks and specifically the state and, and regional and federal decision-making and implementation agencies uh, to think more holistically about these potential hazards in a warming climate. Speaking about that atmospheric river last October, what you're describing here is that it would be problematic to have an event like that one after another in a sequence, right? Yeah, I mean, the good news about the really big atmospheric river we saw last October is it kind of was on its own. It wasn't immediately followed by a bunch of other storms. So if it had been, we probably would have seen much worse impacts. As it was, there was some localized flooding, but I would argue that that event probably brought more benefits than harm because we were in the middle of a historically severe dry spell and then we got a bunch mm -hmm. of rain without a lot of flooding. That's kind of the best that you can hope for. But imagine if that event instead had occurred in the middle of winter, or in particular, the middle of a winter that had already been really wet up to that point. One of the ways that we've sort of been encouraging folks to think about this is imagine the worst storms that you can remember in your whole life if you've lived in California for a long time. And then imagine that they all happened in sequence over the course of a few weeks, one after the other. That's sort of the baseline scenario that we're looking at in this research. The future scenario, when we incorporate climate change, we sort of have two scenarios baked into this research. One is sort of a plausible worst case in the present climate. Another is a plausible worst case a few decades from now when it, the climate has continued to warm. Imagine all of that and then add in a couple of storms that are worse than anything that you can remember from your whole life into that long sequence of existing storms. And that's sort of what the future scenario looks like. That's essentially the reason why we designed these, these scenarios in this way in consultation with folks at the California Department of Water Resources, folks in the emergency management community, because these are the sorts of events that are actually of most concern. Obviously, mm -hmm. individual big storms can cause their own problems. But where things really start to fall apart, where our infrastructure really starts to be tested, is when there are these long sequences and little time to recover in between. More with climate scientist Daniel Swain after a quick break. California has already experienced a mega flood. He'll share what happened in 1862 and how it helps us understand what could happen today. Also, what he thinks the state should do to address the parallel threats of extreme drought and flooding. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Daniel, we know that big storms can be catastrophic 
In your research, you point to a prime example of that in California history, the Great Flood of 1861 to 1862. Tell me more about it, what happened, and why is it important to know that historical context? Yeah, that's right. So the the Great Flood of 1862, as it often is called, is larger than any flood event in living memory in California by a pretty significant margin. There have been some significant regional floods in California in 1969, 1986, 1997, and to some extent, some significant flooding as recently as 2017. But nothing on the spatial scale or of the magnitude as what happened in 1862, where virtually every river in California flooded, in some cases simultaneously, and in many cases to a much greater degree than it has since. This was a weeks-long, if not months-long onslaught of atmospheric river storms, dozens of them, in fact, in sequence, producing an exceptionally wet winter, but in particular, one especially wet month centered around January 1862, after which much of the Central Valley essentially was transformed into a temporary inland sea nearly 300 miles long. And it was at that point possible to run a steamship between all of the Central Valley cities because there was no longer any land separating them. So Mm. temporarily, you could essentially have a boat go from point A to point B in places that are currently dry land across much of the interior of California. And even places like the coastal plain in Los Angeles and San Diego and Orange counties, too, were heavily affected. A lot of folks are aware that there is significant flood risk in the Sacramento and San Joaquin valleys. Mm -hmm. But fewer folks are aware that there's also significant flood risk in highly urbanized Los Angeles and Orange counties. And also in the San Francisco Bay Area, there aren't, of course, as large of rivers in the Bay Area as there are in the Central Valley. But there are plenty of smaller rivers and creeks and streams. Some of these creeks and streams, people might not even know they exist because they're dry most of the time. They might just Mm. be on rivulets on hillsides or put in concrete pipes under freeways. But in an event like this, all of them would fill and then some. And so you'd see flooding in places where you didn't even know necessarily that there were natural watercourses. And San Francisco Bay itself might actually flood because during large storms, you can get storm surges where the level of the bay and the ocean itself rise by a couple of feet. And there's a lot of important infrastructure in the Bay Area that's within a couple of feet of sea level. So if you suddenly see a temporary increase in sea level of two feet or more overnight and couple it with very heavy rain flowing off of the hills, you could see major problems in the Bay Area, not just from flooding and landslides and mudslides and stuff like that but also from inundation of urban areas and freeways and airports that exist right along the bayfront. Remind us, why does climate change, an increasingly warmer climate, equal more intense storms? It's very clear that climate change is going to increase the intensity and severity of these extreme winter storms, mainly the atmospheric rivers that we're so accustomed to now. But that terminology has entered the public discourse in recent years. These atmospheric rivers, just as a reminder, are these narrow corridors of highly concentrated water vapor in the atmosphere pushed horizontally by strong winds. And when you look at them top-down view from space, they literally look like rivers in the sky because they have this sort of sinuous, snake-like characteristic 
when they're out over the open ocean. But then when they come ashore, if they are attached to a pre-existing winter storm system, then they can produce tremendous amounts of rainfall and also very strong winds at times. Mm-hmm. And so in a warming climate, what happens primarily is that we supercharge the amount of moisture that can be in these storms because as temperatures increase, the water vapor holding of the atmosphere increases exponentially. We're already at about 1.1 degrees Celsius of global warming. And so in this work, we found that climate change has essentially already doubled the likelihood of a mega flood event in California, which is a pretty significant number already. And we're mm-hmm. currently on track to double or more than double that amount of warming this century. That's including a lot of the optimistic emissions targets that we've been discussing recently. So there's a lot of additional warming that's likely in the pipeline. We're not going to change our carbon trajectories globally on a dime. So this is really something that we need to be thinking about because Mm -hmm. even assuming that we make major progress on emissions and eventually halt global warming later this century, between now and then, there's going to be more warming and further increases in the risk of a mega flood event like this. So what does this research lead to? What steps should state and local governments take after understanding this worst case scenario that you've painted in your research? One of the cool things about this work is that it's not just scientific research in isolation. We're publishing this current paper which really just represents the first phase of the broader ArcStorm 2.0 project, which is a collaborative effort with folks from throughout the University of California system, the Desert Research Institute, the U.S. Geological Survey, the National Center for Atmospheric Research. So a laundry list of places that have long acronyms. But the point being, we're working with a lot of folks to make sure that this science is not just relegated to the peer-reviewed journals. This really gets integrated into policy and decision-making and even operations from a water management perspective. The second phase is going to be to really map out what the flooding in this event would actually look like every square inch of the state. So we're not just Mm -hmm. going to focus on the rivers. We're going to say, okay, no matter where you live in the state, what would actually be the implications of these scenarios should they come to pass eventually at hyperlocal scale? And then the final step is really going to be to work with these different agencies, to work with a bunch of folks at a bunch of different institutions to figure out where are the weak points? What kind of infrastructure failures would there be in an event like this? And how can we maybe try and fix them, try and get ahead of the curve? Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that we've been talking about is how California sort of has these three major natural hazards that it's dealt with over the years. California is, of course, famous for its earthquake risk. And we haven't really had a particularly big one in a long time now in a major urban area. We've been relatively lucky. Eventually, it will happen you know, California preparedness for earthquakes is greatly improved today relative to what it was, say, 30 or 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's not by accident. You know, it'll still be bad when it happens, but it will be less bad when it happens today because we did all that prep work over the course of decades. When it comes to wildfires, you know, one of the other quintessentially California disasters, we did not get ahead of the curve. We were taken Mm -hmm. kind of by a surprise by how much worse things got over the past decade, despite Mm -hmm. scientific predictions that it would happen in a warming climate. We just didn't know exactly when. 
Well, it turned out that it was this past decade was when the real escalation occurred. And now, you know, every year we talk about how many towns burn down in fire season. Mm -hmm. So this is an example of where we are now working from behind. With the risk of mega flood, we're trying to sort of get ahead of the curve. We really want to make progress on this before the mega flood occurs. And what we're saying right now is we think we're sort of where we were with wildfires 15 or 20 years ago. So right in this lead up to where things could become a big problem within the next couple of decades, but we're not taking it seriously enough yet. So we have this window of opportunity to make some progress over the next you know, 10 or 20 years. Hopefully it'll hold off until then. We don't know for sure, but the risks go up with each passing decade. And so now is the time to really be taking this seriously. Mm. And are we behind in scrambling or are we at the right time to start addressing it? In this moment of awareness, increased awareness about climate change and water issues, even though a lot of it's directed towards drought and water scarcity right now, I think this is a good moment to be thinking about floods also, partly because some of the most promising ways to manage drought risk actually involve harnessing floods to do so. And so this involves things like, for example, using these occasional but very large flood flows that we will be getting periodically to recharge groundwater. So one of the major pushes right now is to increase the sustainability of the underground aquifers, particularly in the Central Valley that are being so greatly overdrafted in an unsustainable way right now, precisely because we have so little water available elsewhere. We're sort of drawing on this a non-renewable, effectively, uh, underground water resource right now. But what if we made that underground water resource somewhat more renewable? Well, the way to do that in these drought times and in this climate change era of increasing precipitation whiplash may well be to redirect flood flows to certain areas so that they can recharge groundwater. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, reduce the risk of flooding places that you really don't want to flood. That is, of course much easier said than done. We would need to redesign some of our water systems to accommodate that. And so, you know, anything related to water in California is arguably 10 times harder than it should be. So Mm -hmm. that is a big ask, but is it a bigger ask than doing nothing and then suffering the consequences of essentially both running out of water and also having to deal with extreme floods? Mm. That's really a question. And I think it's an important quantitative question because a modern recurrence of an 1862-like flood event could in 2022 dollars eventually become a trillion dollar disaster, a trillion with a T. Mm. Think about the kinds of risks that we're potentially mitigating. Even if you only reduce the economic consequences by, say, 20 or 30%, that would justify quite a large expenditure. So it makes sense to be talking Mm -hmm. about flood and drought in the same breath because some of the things that we would want to do to address one are actually going to help us with the opposite problem if we Mm -hmm. think about it from a holistic perspective. Daniel Swain is a climate scientist at the Institute of the Environment and Sustainability at UCLA and at the Nature Conservancy of California. The study he co-authored is called Climate Change is Increasing the Risk of a California Mega Flood. You can learn more about it in a story by Chronicle reporter Sam Whiting at sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app. Thank you to Karen Creighton for the edits and to you for listening.